Hello, friends, and welcome to the Wisdom for Life broadcast. This is Pastor Glenn with another episode that we hope will bless you. Awesome. Would you turn in your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 18, verse 9? Luke chapter 18, verse 9. And we're going to talk about this morning about how sometimes self-esteem gets in the way of God-esteem. And our Christmas song this morning is Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. It comes from, comes from the best, probably the best cartoon ever made. Made in 1964. You remember Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer? Come on, I'm taking you back. No, nobody, nobody remembers that. Come on, all right, good, I got some friends. Hey, as you're turning your Bible, I want to tell you the story. It's told by Sam the Snowman. Yeah, and if you remember, Sam says, hey, we've got some characters here starting with a guy named Hermie. He's an elf, right? And Hermie wants to be a dentist. He doesn't want to make any of the uh, toys for Santa. And Hermie has a boss elf. You remember that guy? And he's like, you know, he, he would say over and over again, uh, you, didn't, you didn't show up to elf practice. That's my best impersonation of boss the elf. And if you remember, he ends up getting fired and he leaves the North Pole. Come on, are you happy this morning? I'm telling this story, and some of you are like, will you just get it over with, because I don't even care. <sighs> Golly. So, so uh, all right, hey, I got it, I got it. All right, so, so he leaves the North Pole, and he ends up on the island, come on, of Misfit Toys. Come on, you know it. I used to have a t-shirt that said, I'm a misfit, and it had all the toys on there. Yeah, they had a jack-in-the-box that didn't work, and it had a... There was some kind of a pig or something that was poking out of it. It was, it was crazy. If you remember, they end up working with this guy called Yukon Cornelius. Yeah, he's a prospector. And then, <laughs> and they, how many of you know this was during the drug period in the United States, the 60s? But I, but I think it's all clean. Anyway, and they get together with the abominable snowman. And they get together with Rudolph, who's got this, this honker that just beams, man. Right? And they're just a bunch of misfits. None of these guys can do anything right. None of them add up to anything until the end of the, of the cartoon. And they end, up, they end up at the end of the cartoon. There's this heavy fog. And Santa needs some help. And how many of you know that Rudolph comes in? And Hermie comes in. And they help Santa get the toys out. Hallelujah. Thank God for a God who uses misfits. Right? Any misfits in here today? It's almost, like, it's almost like when Jesus came on the scene, everybody he picked was from the island of misfit toys. And I, I thank God for that because I feel like my whole life I've come from that island. But thank God he's got a place for me. He's got a use for me. But what gets us in trouble is we start comparing ourselves to other people. And we start saying, wow. At least I'm not as bad as that guy. We forget we're misfits. We start looking, even during this sermon right now, you're thinking, this sermon's for somebody else. I'm preaching to you now. We're all broken and misfits. And so we don't want to play that game where we compare ourselves to one another. Hey, we want to have a God esteem where we compare ourselves to Christ, which should humble you. It should humble me. It should put me in a place of grace where I say, thank you, Father. I want to be like your son, although I'm not. 
He's changing me every day from glory to glory. That's a little bit of the background of the text here because we got a guy who, who forgets what island he's from. He forgets that he's a misfit. He looks at somebody else and through the comparison game starts to say, at least I'm not as bad as that person. Watch this. Luke 18, verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. Oh, this is church on Sunday morning, man. Two went to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now, you ought to know how this story ends. I want to give you a little background, though. Because we end up treating the tax collector like he's a hero. But listen, he's no hero. If you lived during that time, you would understand that this guy's a shyster. You would understand that this man had one goal, and it was to rip you off. You ever gotten ripped off? Well, at the end of the story, Jesus is saying the one that ripped people off, the one that's ripping people off, is actually the one that truly is coming to know me. What they would do, the tax collectors, is they would go out and they would collect more than the tax was due. So they would charge above the tax. Hey, listen, tax season's coming in just a few months. I don't like it. Neither do you. It's right around April Fool's, man. I always think I'm fooling myself like I got enough paid and I never do. But imagine somebody came along and they actually charged you more than what was due and ripped you off. That's the tax collector. And usually it was a Jewish man from their own people working for the man, Rome. So ripping his own people off. So don't fall in love with this tax collector guy, okay? Understand that Jesus picked this guy on purpose to give you a contrast of how great God's love is, how merciful your God is, and at the same time, how humble we should be. Because we're all misfits from the island of misfit toys. It says, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you. Now, I want you to see this. He gives himself six compliments here. God, I want to thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like the tax collector. This isn't a prayer. This is a valedictorian speech. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. Look, God, I want to thank you that I'm better than the other guy. And Jesus has given us a point here. All of that stuff doesn't add up to anything when it comes to truly knowing and adoring God's love for you. And watch this, verse 13. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven. Notice he's not comparing himself to anyone else. Notice he's now comparing himself to God because he won't even look up. It says that he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be what? Humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. Pray with me. Father, in the name of Jesus, God, help us to take the judgment hat off. We walk into church and we say, well, this isn't how I would do service. This isn't how I would do church. This isn't how I would sing that song. This isn't how I would preach. This isn't how church ought to be. God, there isn't anyone here, including myself, that belongs here this morning on our own merit. We need to humble ourselves before you and know that, God, 
everything your son Jesus Christ has done has given us a place at your table. <laughs> and I'm so glad that, God, I could sit down with your son on the throne because of his work, not mine, and I give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. How many of you remember when you were back in school and, and, and you had report cards? Boy, those were fun. Yeah. Yeah, report cards? Taking those babies home were, were a blast for me. Yeah, maybe you weren't like me, but, but uh, I didn't get great grades, man. It wasn't until I got saved that my grades were good. And I got principals in here and stuff. I'm sorry, Mr. Principal. I'm sorry, but I was one of the guys that got terrible grades. I used to, I used to, take, my, um, I used to take my homework and my schoolwork and my bad grades, and I'd bury them in a big snow pile next to KFC. And so, so like, I wouldn't think my parents would ever see them, right? Well, then one day we'd go to KFC, and there'd be these papers all blowing around in the spring. And my mom and dad would get out of the car, and we'd go up to get some chicken, and it's got Glenn Hammonds' name on the top of all those papers. <laughs> F. I was so bad in school that in fifth grade, we had, we had a hierarchy in fifth grade for readers. How many of you know readers are leaders? I, I read books now, but I didn't then, you know? I, I, just, I wasn't about it. So, so we, had, we had a really cool classroom, fifth grade classroom. We had a loft. And at the, if you were great in class and you were awesome in class, you got to go to the loft to read. And those were the sharks. Say sharks. sharks. Yeah, and then if you were just kind of secondary in class and in your readings, you got to be the barracudas. Come on, barracudas. Watch you, barracuda. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. You don't know anything about that. They would go underneath the loft. Well, I wasn't in the sharks. I wasn't in the barracudas. I wasn't a shark. I was a carp. Come on now. I, I, I never got to the loft, or, I'm not kidding you, I was a bottom feeder, all the way. And I remember when report cards would come out, everybody would compare, not me. I didn't want to, I already know, I already knew what my grades were. And I got passed a lot because, not because I actually passed the courses, but this was the 70s and 80s, man. They would pass guys like me just to get me out of the class. And I'm not kidding you, they would just, just get, him, get him going, you know. And now I'm your pastor. <laughs> uh huh. Our pastor's a carp. So here's what happened. There, there was this comparison that went on. Did you? What'd you get an A in? What'd you get a B in? What'd you get a C in? Nobody, nobody got D's and F's. Wanted to compare. It doesn't stop there. It went on with school clothes. I remember that. And listen, I'm not this way today, but I remember if you shopped at Kmart during the 80s, you were a carp. You, didn't, you ever, never went to Kmart, man. A anybody old enough to remember that? Okay, it didn't happen. Okay, it did happen in Ohio. Cool. I remember my dad would go and get me track tennis shoes from Kmart, and he'd get me the light blue pair. I swear to you, they were girl shoes. I got in more fights because of those shoes. And if you didn't have the right jeans, how, about, how many of you remember in the 80s you had to have guest blue jeans? Yeah, you had, to, you had to wear it, you had to dress like you were from Chess King. I would go work for farmers and make extra money just so that I could have school clothes that were cool. You had to look like you, had to look like you were awesome, man. You couldn't, all these kids going thrifting today, you don't know anything about the 80s. You go to a thrift store, hey, look at this, this is cool, man, somebody else's t-shirt. Man, I had to pay like $100 for those Air Jordans. I mean, I was a ridiculous tennis shoe, but I had to have it. Come on. Because if you didn't have it, you were a carp. You were out. 
The comparison game doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop with report cards or the school clothes that you had. It, it goes on. It goes on into later in life who you get to marry and where you get to live in town. Oh, now I'm getting close. What kind of house you live in? I lived in a trailer park. That's where I lived. I thought it was awesome because there was, there was plenty of places for me to like play tricks on people all the time. You know, everybody else lived there too. So I'd, you know, ding dong dash and everything else. I'd do all that. It was fun. But if you didn't have the right clothes, if you didn't have the right toys, it starts, it, it starts to go into how much you make it work. You know, we don't really want you to know what our salary is, but just know it's more than yours. Or where we work, or what kind of toys we have in the garage, and then our position at church. Oh, I better stop right there. It's just a, a thousand pardons. <laughs> or what our position is in the community. It's a comparison game, and it's a trap. You'll lose your joy in that. You, listen, you'll forget that you're a misfit. You'll forget that somebody came and got you. You'll forget that your comparison isn't with other people, it's with Christ. Yeah. And you'll, you'll lose your humility. And man, there's no better joy than just being humble. Can I just tell you? I love being, I, I love it. I love it, being in that state of humility. Well, you say, if you're talking about it, you must be prideful. <laughs> no, but think about it. You, you trust God for everything. What a relief. Man, that's better than Alka-Seltzer. Are you here today? Here's two guys that, that one of them realized they were a misfit and the other one forgot he was. Here's two guys that one compared himself to someone else and, and the other just compared himself to the Lord. And at the end of the story, we see that only one was justified and forgiven and the other one wasn't. His report card wasn't good. His report card would, wasn't what it should be and yet he realizes that he didn't get an f he got a j for jesus come on i i, I wonder if you're here this morning I, I i hopefully i gave you one of these candy canes come on you, you didn't get one hallelujah he got a j oh i guess yeah you're this way okay he got a j i was talking to my brother this morning he ought to preach the rest of this sermon but i'm gonna leave him alone He's shaking his head right now. Brother Tim's like, do not call me up there or I will kill you. <laughs> There's a story behind it. I don't know what he said. Amen. Oh, amen. I finally get an amen. <laughs> In the story of the candy cane, it's the story I'm preaching to you this morning. You see, this was, this was invented by a Catholic guy, a, a, a priest, who wanted to bless the kids and the people in his church every Christmas season. So he wanted to tell the story of the birth of Christ. And so in the candy cane, we see that we've got some colors, right? One is white, and that represented for the Catholics the, the purity of Mary, but, but this morning we're going to say the purity of Christ, right? Right? And, and, and also, uh, we've got the color red. That represents the blood of Jesus Christ. And we know that it, it, there's a, it's, it's a little spicy, isn't it? It's, it's got a flavor to it, right? And that represents the spices that were brought to Jesus upon his birth. And, and we see it as a cane, but in reality, there's a J. And when I look at this, I see the purity of my God and the blood of my God. 
and the sweetness of my God. And my God's name is Jesus. And in Jesus, I've got everything I've ever wanted to attain and acquire. Inside Jesus, I am whole and I am righteous. Inside of Jesus, I have attained an A. Or maybe a J. Right? Because of Jesus. That's why we're here today. Because of Him. I read a story about a man who so adored his father. And thinking about this is actually a Polish king who upon becoming king, wherever he traveled, he had a painting of his father that was small enough that he could carry with him in his travels. And whenever he made a decision or whenever he did something and he had to decide whether it was right or wrong, he would pull out the picture of his father and he'd look at that picture and he'd say, may I be like my father. And then he'd make the decision. Don't, 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 don't pull out a picture of anybody else but, but, but Jesus. Don't, don't conform to anyone else but Jesus. We have the perfect picture that the Father sent to the earth. And His name is Jesus. Form and conform your life by the power of His Holy Spirit to His image. Amen? You are the image of God. You are the Imago Dei. Pull it out and conform to Him. I know there's cool people around you. I know I'm one of them. I... How many of you know Christ is better? He's better. He really is. We get trapped in this because we live in a a social media world where we begin to see pictures of people on the internet or online and they're touching up their lives to make their lives look like something completely unattainable. How many of you know you can't eat that every day of your life? And you can't live like you're on vacation every day of your life. But this is all we see, whether it be in commercials or whether it be on television, whether it be on someone's social media profile, we see these people trying to portray perfection. When the reality is this, you'll lose your joy in comparing yourself to that. I want you to have all the joy that you can have in Christmas. I want to remind you that it's okay to be a misfit from that island and that God has chosen you and he's going to use you anyway. You don't have to compare yourself to anyone else but His Son, Jesus Christ. And when you do compare yourself to Christ, you begin to, and here's a $20 word, you begin to adore Him. You begin, you and I begin to learn adoration. We don't use that word anymore. You don't go into Walmart and and buy something at Walmart and they say, oh, you liked it? Where'd you get this? Oh, I just adore 2% milk. This particular 2% milk, I, I have adoration for this kind of milk. I, I, this is, I can't believe it's not butter. Spread. I adore it. We don't say that. We say we, we love it, right? But, but our culture throws that word love around kind of frivolously. Like I've asked people when I moved here, where do you get the best pizza? Well, I'm just going to ask you right now. I'm going to start over here with this section, who has the best pizza in Finley? Wait a minute. Miss Hannah, did you just say Domino's? You work. Miss Hannah, where do you work? <laughs> but Domino's is it, right? Why is it? Why is Domino's better than Little Caesars? <laughs> she don't want to say. She <laughs> Right there, yeah. 
I got four different answers over here. I'm going to ask this section. Who's got the best pizza? Come on. Papa John's? I like Papa too. Papa John's got that, that garlic buttery sauce. That'll put you right into a heart attack. But what is better than a completely meat-filled pizza and dip it into butter? That's like, Jesus, what are you doing here eating pizza with me? You're dead, boy. Okay, so Papa John's, who else? Yeah? You like Jack and Do's? Do you, do you realize nobody agrees here? Nobody agrees. Oh, you do? You do? Well, you agree with your wife. You're supposed to. Really? Hey, who's got the best pizza? Jack and Do's. All right, I'm going to ask you this right now. Who's for Jack and Do's? Who's for anybody else than Jack and Do's? How many of you have ever said about that pizza, I love this. I love it. But, but you know, that, we throw that word around a lot. I want to talk about a love that as you compare yourself to the Son, Jesus Christ, that causes you now to begin to adore. An adoration of the Father. Because now you've compared yourself to the Son and you realize you don't measure up, but because of the Son you do. There's an adoration now. And this is the deepest kind of love that we can show. It's a, it's a reverence or a venerating of God the Father in the deepest loving way. You begin to adore the Father because of the gift of His Son. And the comparison game is gone. Think of the wise men. At the beginning of Jesus' life, his, there's like two bookends on Jesus' life. I want to give you both of them. The wise men come and they adore the son. They come and they give him extravagant gifts. I don't know how much Jack and Doe's pizza's worth, but would you give gold? Well, you might. <laughs> no. You, you, would, you would now understand that they adored. They adored the son. But get this. At the time, nobody else did. There were shepherds. There were these magi. From the east, there was Mary and Joseph. That was it. Actually, that adoration brought on spiritual conflict. If you think about it, Herod is mentioned right after that story in the book of Luke as killing the firstborn males, two years and younger. Every time you begin to have adoration for the Son, there will be spiritual conflict. Because you've taken your eyes off of man and you've placed them fully upon Jesus. Expect spiritual conflict every time there's adoration. Look at the end of Jesus' life. Before he's taken out of the garden, before he's taken out of Gethsemane, there is still a smell on his body placed there by a woman who was, uh, let's say, less than moral. She comes into a room. It's a Pharisee's house. She breaks open the alabaster box. She covers his feet in spikenard. There is an aroma that fills the house. Everyone in the house is now under this, under this ethos of adoration. And yet they all did not adore him. She alone was the one that was saying, 
because I can compare my life to yours, because I'm a misfit, just like the Magi. These weren't Jewish men. They were misfits. And yet, in adoration, they were used by God. She began to worship him. And the worship in adoration was extravagant. Worship should be costly. It should not be cheap. We serve a King of kings and a Lord of lords. We shouldn't cheapen our worship before Him. These two bookends show us the adoration of Christ. One at His birth, one just before His death. We know that this, this type of this spikenard was so powerful in its aroma that it was probably the last thing He smelled on the cross. Whenever He was enduring the pain of the nails and of the crown of thorns, whenever he began to endure the suffocation of the cross, every time he would come up to take a breath, he'd be reminded of adoration. He would smell the aroma of her worship. God smells the aroma of your worship, people. God loves your worship. Adore him. Adore him. You say, because... I'm a misfit. I'm broken. How, how do I adore him in the midst of how do I adore him in the midst of all of my, my brokenness? Adore him anyway. It's not about you. Praise God, it's not about me. Praise God, it's about Jesus Christ. So I don't I don't endeavor for self-esteem. Esteem means to hold something at the highest. I endeavor God esteem. I give my life in adoration to Christ. And as a result, I see the value of living. Can you say amen? Amen. The purpose of our life is now to adore Him. Even though I'm a misfit, even though I'm broken, even though that I don't measure up, I don't compare myself to you in 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 the glory of Christ and the adoration of the King. I find my place and my purpose. I love this, and I'll end with this story this morning. I love this, uh, this picture we get from Peter. We know that at, upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have a moment in John 21, verse 15, where Jesus has to come and get Peter again. If you remember this story vividly, it goes like this in John 21, 15. Jesus says to Peter, Do you love me? You might want to say it, adore. Do you adore me, Peter? He asks that of Peter three times. The English language does this passage no justice. We know that there are at least three words for love in the Greek. One is agape. One is phileo. One is eros. You are a tripartite being. You have three parts to you. You have a flesh. You have a body of which you can express erotic love. You have a soul and a mind of which you can express phileo love. Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. But you also can experience agape love that comes from the spirit man. It is an adoration. It is a totality. It is a love unconditional. It is a love with all. Say all. All. Yeah. And so the first time Jesus asked Peter, do you love and adore me? He asked with the word Agape. Peter is wore out. 
Because he says, Lord, you know. Doesn't he know? Does he know the measurement of your love for him? I just want to ask right now. Have you ever read in your Bible, Deuteronomy chapter 6, 5? Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You will love him with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength. That is the law. Anybody in here ever love God with all your mind, all your heart, and all your strength? Be careful. Careful. Don't get froggy on that one. Because if you're like me, you're not all together there. You got a little bit of a, a little something going on called the flesh. Right? We know that's the law. Anybody ever do that in totality? So he goes on to ask Peter, he says, do you love me more than these? Don't think he's comparing Peter to the other disciples. The comparison game is not what Christ's into. The Greek word for these is neuter. It's not masculine. He's not pointing to the other boys and saying, do you love me more than these other boys? There is a neuter pronoun here. He is saying, do you love me more than the nets? Oh, come on, come on, come on. Back to the toys, back to the grades, back to the clothes, back to not being a carp, back to being a shark, back to being at the top in everything so you can look down on everyone else. Peter, do you love me more than your business? Because I called you to be a fisher of men. And you're back to fishing again. And Peter starts to get wore out because he knows, he knows that he doesn't agape love him. So God asks him two more times. But I want you to get this. The last time he asks him, he doesn't use agape anymore. He uses phileo. Have you ever heard this taught before? Okay, good. I'm in good company. In other words, Peter, <clears throat> I'm going to agape love you, but if you can't agape love me yet, I'll come down to where you are and I'll take the love you do. I'll take the love you do have and my love will change yours. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Look at this, look at this. Look. 1 John 4.10. Right after John is preaching about love, he says in, in 4, 7, and 8, Beloved, let us love one another for love is of God, and everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. He that loves not knows not God, for God is love. But wait a minute. Wait a minute, Pastor. My love's not complete. My love isn't good enough. I know the whole of the law is to love God and love my neighbor as myself. I know in Deuteronomy 6.5, the Shema, it tells me that I should love God with everything, but I don't always do it. So John comes along and says, I'm going to help you like Christ helped Peter. He says this, in this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loves Oh, man. but that He loves us and sent His Son to be the propitiation, the payment for our sins. It's not your love, it's His love that elevates. You get to be a shark, you get to be at the top of the reading class because of Jesus! Give Him some praise in the house. 
got a picture for you here. I just want you to see this. This is, uh, give me a Da Vinci here, Adoration of the Magi. Jeopardy song. As he's pulling that up. There it is. All right. So Leonardo da Vinci. He is, he is uh, subscribed by monks to paint this picture. It takes him four years to paint this picture. It is the adoration of the Magi. He was simply trying to express how much love, look at all the other people, how they're so consumed with everything else on the outskirts of the painting. They're consumed with everything else that's going on in the world. And then you can see that one magi. All he cares about is focusing on the baby Christ. And he was trying to convey that our lives should be principled this way. That our focus shouldn't be self. And it shouldn't be trying to be like others. That we should be consumed and adoring the Christ child. In his painting, this painting, there was a clause in the contract. They would pay Da Vinci as long as he completed it on time. The problem is, Da Vinci never really got anything done on time. It was supposed to be done in two years. It took him four. By the time he ended this painting, and it was completed, he now owed the monks for the gold that was used in the painting, for the food, he went bankrupt after completing this painting. It still is, uh, is in that chapel today. He gave everything, and yet in his giving, it still was not enough. Da Vinci died a genius, but penniless. His life in this painting was to communicate to the world about the adoration that we should have for Christ. And in the process, he fell short. You will too. You will too. And yet, let me remind you that you are God's masterpiece. That God is working on your life. That he says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, we're saved by grace, not by works, lest any man should boast. And then he goes on to say, for you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. You are the masterpiece of God. You may not be able to finish it, but how many of you know? He will. And he has. He has counted it finished from the cross. He's proclaimed that over your life. You simply just need To adore him. Maybe you could take a moment with me as the worship team comes. Maybe you could take a moment this morning to adore him. I know it don't measure up. I know it's not perfect. I know there's a love that's higher. But only his love can our love in heaven. Maybe you can take a moment today to adore him. Would you all please stand?